With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of The China Project. On this week's episode, China's Politburo vows to boost the sluggish private sector, which has suffered tough regulations and COVID shocks over the past few years. In addition, Beijing plans to relax rules on foreign companies investing in bad debt managers, while the U.S. Senate targets American investments in China through a key defense bill. But first, let's take a look at news from China's CATL, the world's largest maker of batteries for electric vehicles, or EVs. CATL's profits soared in the second quarter, powered by rising global EV sales and stabilizing prices of key materials like lithium. The company's record quarterly sales for top customer Tesla helped propel its profit growth. Its customers also include NIO, Volkswagen, Ford Motor, and Hyundai Motors. The Chinese price of lithium carbonate, a refined form of the metal used in EV batteries, has halved from last year, easing CATL's cost pressures. The company has tightened its grip on the global EV battery market as it ramps up output. Its overseas ambitions include a battery factory in Hungary and a deal with Ford Motors to run a production site based on its licensing and technology in the U.S. However, the deal is facing congressional scrutiny given the involvement of a Chinese company. The U.S. is also keeping a close eye on investment flowing in the other direction. The Senate has attached a measure to the annual defense policy bill that would subject some U.S. investments in China two new requirements, which would complement restrictions being weighed by the Biden administration. Concerns have been mounting in Washington over China's development of advanced technology. The proposed measure would require businesses to notify the U.S. government about certain investments in China and other countries of concern, although they wouldn't be subject to review or possible prohibition. The measure would focus on investment in high-tech sectors, including hypersonics, and satellite-based communications, as well as semiconductors, quantum computing, and artificial intelligence, or AI. And in news about AI, e-commerce giant Alibaba's cloud unit said it has become the first company on the Chinese mainland to support the new Llama AI model launched by Facebook's parent company, Meta. The model 
can be used to train ChatGPT-like tools. Alibaba Cloud said it's launching a training and deployment solution for the entire series of Llama 2 in China, and that all developers are welcome to create customized large models on its platform. Alibaba Cloud launched its own large language model, LLM, in April. The addition of Meta's model to its portfolio could help bolster its business. Now, an update on China's financial sector. The country is planning to allow overseas non-financial firms to make equity investments in domestic financial asset management companies, or AMCs. It also intends to lower the bar for overseas financial institutions to do so in a bid to further open up its financial market. Financial AMCs are bad debt managers, such as state-owned China Huarong, According to draft rules released by the National Financial Regulatory Administration, overseas financial institutions would still need to meet a number of requirements to invest in financial AMCs, but they would no longer be required to have at least $10 billion in total assets at the end of the most recent financial year. Next up, some eye-catching political news. Qin Gong has been removed as China's foreign minister after less than a year in the position. According to the state-run Xinhua news agency, Qin has been replaced by his immediate predecessor, Wang Yi. The report did not elaborate on why Qin was removed. Qin has been conspicuously absent from the public eye for more than a month, last seen in late June during meetings with diplomats from Russia, Vietnam, and Sri Lanka. Qin was named China's foreign minister at the end of last year, Replacing Wang, Qin previously served as the nation's ambassador to the U.S. Wang is a seasoned diplomat. He was China's foreign minister from 2013 to 2022 and served as the country's ambassador to Japan in the 2000s. Meanwhile, Pan Gongsheng has been named China's central bank governor, replacing Yi Gang. Pan is a veteran banker and regulator. The 60-year-old had been a deputy governor of the central bank since 2012. The Monetary Authority's leadership change comes at a crucial time for China's economy, which is losing momentum after an initial post-pandemic rebound. The central bank is tasked with reining in major risks in the financial system, including those posed by the prolonged downturn in the property market. Speaking of real estate, China's Politburo has urged the government to adjust relevant policies as the relationship between supply and demand in the property market has gone through drastic changes. At a meeting on July 24th, the Politburo identified the property market as one key area of risk, along with local government debt and small and mid-sized financial institutions. Risks in the three areas are interrelated. The Politburo is the Communist Party's top decision-making body, and its July meeting is closely watched by investors for signs of what measures Beijing will take to shore up growth. The Politburo has highlighted the need to boost domestic demand and for policies to prop up the country's private economy. It said that China should improve the environment for private companies to develop, as well as the communication mechanism between companies and the government. China's private sector has suffered COVID shocks and tough regulations over the past few years, and Beijing just wrapped up a multi-year crackdown on misconduct in the tech sector, which 
had dealt a blow to the private economy as well as Chinese companies' U.S. IPOs. Let's turn now to Yukun Zhang, Zhang Yukun, a finance reporter with Caixin Global, for a closer look at one of the more complicated stories of the week. Hello, Yukun, and welcome back to the show. Thank you, Kaiser. It's great to be back. So today we're going to talk about what may become of the first U.S. IPO of a Chinese company since China's new overseas listings rules came into effect. So what happened? What happened was on Wednesday, China's top securities regulator, the CSRC, published a notice to confirm that a company called Majestic Ideal had completed the registration required by the regulator for an overseas IPO. Majestic Ideal is applying for an IPO on Nasdaq and has already filed its prospectus. So that is the first time that a Chinese company seeking a U.S. IPO has received this kind of notice from the CSRC, since a new system of overseas listings was implemented at the end of March. Now, a little background: Majestic Ideal is a provider of supply chain management services in the apparel industry. Although it's registered in the Cayman Islands, its business operations are conducted by a subsidiary based in Shanghai. So, Majestic Ideal could be the first Chinese company to IPO in the U.S. under the new rules. Is that right? It may or may not be the first because its IPO application still has to go through the process in the U.S. But regardless of whether it is the first, the fact that it has received registration confirmation from the CSRC is a sign that more companies seeking a U.S. IPO could receive this confirmation. So we're now one step closer to seeing the first Chinese company to get listed in the U.S. under the new rules, and we're seeing this trend of more companies getting this kind of confirmation. As of Thursday, ten Chinese companies, including Majestic Ideal, have received this confirmation. The other nine are all trying to sell their shares in Hong Kong, and eight out of the ten confirmation notices were issued in July. So it seems like the securities regulator is speeding up the process. How many more companies are in line for this registration confirmation then? As of Thursday, the CSRC has received registration materials from 96 companies applying for overseas offerings. A quarter of them are applying to sell shares in the U.S., and the rest are applying for IPOs in Hong Kong. We've been talking about these new rules for overseas listings. For our listeners who are not familiar with the new rules, can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, sure.、Um, in December 2021, the CSRC proposed an overhaul of the regulatory framework for overseas IPOs. By that time, the pipeline of Chinese companies getting listed in the U.S. had almost been crushed following the Didi debacle that year. Both Chinese and U.S. regulators tightened their oversight of Chinese companies trying to sell stocks in the U.S. at that time. China wanted to make sure that Chinese companies seeking overseas listings comply with an investment negative list and undergo a cybersecurity review if necessary. And the U.S. SEC wanted Chinese companies to disclose the risks associated with China's regulatory environment and their use of the VIE structure when they apply for U.S. IPOs.、Uh, for those who don't know, a VIE structure is basically where a China-based company uses an offshore shell company to get listed overseas and get around the Chinese government's restrictions. So, coming back to the CSRC's new rules. They require that any company seeking 
to sell their shares overseas must register its IPO application with the regulator if more than 50% of its revenue, profit, or assets came from the China market in the previous financial year, and if its main management team mostly consists of Chinese nationals or executives who habitually reside in China, or its main business operating location is in China. So there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yes, there was a lot going on when those rules were being created. So if you're interested, we, we've actually reported a lot on this topic, and you can just check them out on our website. All right. Thank you for all of that information. And if our listeners are interested in more details about this story, please head over to CaixinGlobal.com. And uh, thanks again, Yukun. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure for me, too. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief was produced by Kaiser Guo and by Lin Jinbing, Kelsey Chung, and Jonathan Breen at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa and China Global South podcasts. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from The China Project. Again, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Take care. Take care.